Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of First Time Outdoors. Uh, today we've got a special episode. We are at Bob Mitchell's Fly Shop in St. Paul, and we're sitting down with the guys at the Brown Trout and Bridge Beers podcast. We're going to talk uh, trout fishing and some fly fishing here today. Um, these guys are local guys that are really, uh, you know, they're really deep in the the fly fishing game in the the Midwest, I guess, in Minnesota, and I think they have some really probably some great uh, insights into how to get started fly fishing and uh, you know, where to get your feet wet for lack of a better phrase. But so we've got uh, Grant um, and Matt here yep. with us and Hi. Howdy, howdy. Mike as well. Welcome guys. Thanks Hi. for joining us. Yeah, thanks for being here. Thank hey, you. thanks for having us. So yeah, I guess basically to kind of catch you guys up to speed, what we try, what we're trying to do here at first time outdoors is provide a platform to people to learn about, various activities that they might be interested in, but really just don't have any guidance uh, or a network to get involved with these things. Um, one of the main drivers of kind of my perspective with this was um, hunting. I came from mm -hmm. a family, nobody hunted. I, I have two uncles and a couple cousins that hunt and my whole, both sides of the family. Uh, whereas Mike came from a, a hunting and fishing family. Yep. I saw life. Um, was kind of a deep part of his identity. And, um, we became close friends through over, you know, in college. And, uh, he sort of brought me over to the dark side a little bit through many years <laughs> of just like fishing more often and, and, uh, eventually, you know, going bird hunting both for, uh, upland and ducks. And, and then eventually a couple of years ago, uh, going deer hunting. So it really was a, uh, sort of a growth that was really natural, but it was a result of the fact that I had a network of friends and right. a support to yeah, get that, there. That always helps. Yep. <clears throat> so that's kind of where we wanted to, we realized that and we realized it, I would have had an interest to do those sorts of things, but it really was a result of having friends and people that I could ask questions to and not feel stupid. And so we wanted to start another platform for people to be able to do that for all different things, fishing, hunting, um, mountain biking, anything really just to get outside and enjoy the outdoors. So, and I think the interesting part of, uh, this conversation that I'm excited about, frankly, is that, um, Jake is between the two of us by far the more of the expert. So we've kind of traded places in this, uh, conversation. I am very new to fly fishing. I've fly fish probably less than 10 times in my, in my life. And, uh, have always been interested in doing it, but just haven't really one, uh, found the extra time mm -hmm. and two, not really knowing, uh, how much money is needed for that jump in point. So I guess you can kind of anticipate that I'm going to have some questions about that as we right. go through as well. So. so, so you carry the torch more on like the, the hunting aspect, right. Of the, well, or are you both, are you Mike, both like kind of. Mike's a big fisherman. Okay. He's a big gear fisherman, uh, oh. huge musky fisherman. Um, I spent a lot of days. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's the dirty, <laughs> word, the dirty word here. If you can, if you can afford musky fishing with gear, you can afford fly fishing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's 100%. 100%. That's true. But can you afford both? <laughs> no, um, no, you can't. Yeah. One or the other. Yeah. Yeah. So Mike, yeah, he basically like, you know, Again, I, I grew up on a lake, but never really fished a whole lot just because that's what my family didn't do that. But in college, we started bass fishing a lot more and pike uh, on some local lakes. And I really learned a lot about fishing through Mike, but it was all from like a spin gear 
bait casting perspective. And I think a lot of people, especially Minnesota area, I mean, that's a lot of people grew up that way, learning how to fish. Um, yeah, it's a good way to fish. It's a great way to fish. Um, and it's a great way just to get in the sport and, and, and learn water, learn rivers and things like that too, though. Where'd you guys go to school at? We're, St. Uh, John's. St. John's. Yep. So, uh, where is that? Is that's that North? Be, yeah. It's going to be in an hour, uh, North West of here on 94. Okay. Uh, Stearns County. All right. right by St. Cloud. Plenty of fun places to fish up yeah, there, though. Yeah, Lake it, West. It sits on what is it? Four different lakes mm-hmm. that the camp, like the university, owns. Oh, nice! So we had a canoe chained to a tree on one of the the bigger lakes, and like uh, every Friday afternoon, I'd get done with football practice, and we'd go right out and go fishing. And then that's how we wrapped up our weekends too. Sunday nights, we were out there mm-hmm. fishing out of the canoe as well, non motorized. Um, and then it's like in the heart of campus. So you're not getting really too many locals coming mm-hmm. to fish. So it's like the pressure's pretty low. College kids out there just having a good time. Yeah. So at that point, were you guys, um, getting fly curious at all, or was it just, uh, just bait? <laughs> no, uh, my fly curiosity, uh, is pretty much exclusively, uh, you know, I owe that to my friend, Ben, Ben Albers. Uh, he went to school at, in Wisconsin stout and I think he took, fly fishing is like a gym class. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Sounds about right. Yeah, yep. exactly. Uh, so he got really into it then. And uh, I didn't really know Ben. He was a friend of my roommates. And so, you know, through college, I didn't really know him and got to be friends after, after school. Um, and then, yeah, he took me out to Wisconsin a couple of times and caught some trout. And nice. then I was like, yeah, this is actually the style of fishing that I've always been waiting for. I just, I can't stand jigging for walleyes and sitting there <laughs> like, like I'll do it. Uh, I'll do it. If that's what we're going to do, I'll, I'll go ice fishing if that's what people want to do. And like, it's a fun time, but it's a good method for tacos. Yeah, right. exactly. I um, you know, drink a lot more beer than I catch fish, obviously. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, just like going for walks. Um, you know, I always say like the worst day of fly fishing, you're going for like a fun hike, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah. exactly. So that's just something that appealed to me immediately. Um, yeah, it's slower than normal fishing too. I mean, you're not zipping across the lake at 50 miles an hour. Yep. You know, you're as fast as you can walk. And a lot of times you just stand in the same place for hours. You yeah. Know? You really, you really start to notice more nature stuff. Yeah. I found that I could cue into the fish mm-hmm. behavior better than I could bass fishing or pike fishing. I, I, I kind of uh, started to understand like what I was looking for. Yeah. Whereas I'd had years of fishing for, you know, uh, lake species and just kind of like, yeah, I think that this is how I need to do it, but mm-hmm. never really feeling that that sort of changed when I started fly fishing. Yeah, and the walk and wade methodology, as far as how Matt and I fish trout fishing is you, you get a lot more of an opportunity to do some sight fishing. Um, which is always fun, you know, especially if you got some risers coming through, um, always check that or, or even just nymph fishing, you can, you know, you're sitting there watching, um, seams and stuff and watching fish move out from rocks and, and feed and getting their feeding lanes and move around. Um, which is always, you know, it's just, it's fun to, fun to watch the fish and then try and target them and see what you can pull out. Yeah, it's a real intimate way to fish. You know, you're not, you know, 30, 40 feet down, you know, jigging a, half pound hunk of lead. Right. Yep. <laughs> I, I can't tell you that. Yeah. I mean, the first couple of times that I fished a hole where I was like standing on a drop off 
and it felt like I was, you know, at the tip of my rod, there was mm-hmm. fish there. It's like, this is crazy. I'm basically standing on top of them. Yep. And if you, get, if you can do it right, they're still catchable. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, and speaking of a first time trout fishing tip, I'll throw out there is, uh, don't ever step in the river before you put a pass through of that piece of water that you think you're going to stand in. Um, I'd say more than 50% of the time, you're going to be able to pull probably a nice fish off that bank that you're about to plop your feet in the river to, you know, watch those spots that are four feet off the, off the bank or three feet off the bank. Um, we saw that in Montana this year, we're fishing a stretch and, um, I think Matt pulled a couple nice fish out. Um, I pulled a nice cutthroat out of that section of just standing on the bank and be like, oh, I should just plop there before I step through it. Um, you know, just stuff to think about when you're going out there. Yep. So you're not casting all the way to reach across the, to the other bank. You're literally no, just, you, oh, no. just dangling the fly right off the, Somet- sometimes right off the bank of the river. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think we were talking that one run and I was just standing, looking at Grant talking and I just kind of like flipped my rod up, not even looking at it. And all of a sudden boom, fish yep. on. So but that was, that doesn't happen all the time. No, <laughs> not all the time, but. It's definitely something to keep in the back of your mind when you're out there. Um, I think that like, you know, I'm not, I haven't been a lifelong fly fisherman, but I do have some experience and there are days where I find myself one, like casting at that other side of the bank and going, Hey, come on, you know (laughs) better. Like there's that tempting, like how far can I cast mentality that you just have, like people just have that mentality. It's like, you really have to focus and kind of um, think about, picking apart the water in a specific way and not just throwing your line over the whole run just mm-hmm. to get to the other bank, you know? Um, but if we could maybe back up slightly before we get into the sort of nitty gritty about the fishing, what, do you guys, uh, can you run through like kind of your fishing backgrounds and sort of how long you've been fly fishing and give us a little backstory there? Yeah. I've, I've been fishing as long as I can remember. Um, I've seen pictures of me as a little kid, you know, in diapers fishing. So, um, started out gear fishing, um, like most people, I think, um, my dad took me all the time and, um, got into fly fishing when I saw a guy tying flies and I had no idea what he was doing, but it looked pretty cool. So I went home and tore apart a pillow and took a bunch of feathers (laughs) out and, (laughs) <laughs> Tried to make them stick to a hook. And, I love that, I bet. Yeah. And it's been tying flies ever since. I mean, I tied flies for two years before I ever actually went fly fishing. Um, they weren't very good flies, but, you know. And then started fly fishing, and I don't think I've touched a gear rod in... Not even going to guess. It's been it's, too long. It's been way too long. <laughs> um, but, yeah, just... I would, fly fishing would be my preferred way to fish mm-hmm. and trout would be my preferred species to fish for. Sweet. Yeah. Cool. How about you, Grant? Uh, you know, I grew up in Northern Wisconsin, so I grew up a walleye fisherman. Um, and a Packer fan. And a Packer fan. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> boss. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They didn't show up to play on Sunday, but that's a whole different situation. Um, so yeah, I grew up, grew up walleye fishing. Then I remember, I think I was, nine, 10 years old. My dad, uh, there's that old sporting goods store in Rylander, Wisconsin called Mel's Sporting Good. And we both got these, I don't know, 30, $40 
eight or uh, eight foot five weight setups and um, we'd go out bass fishing or pan fishing. Um, took a couple trips up to the U- UP, um, you know, catching little brook trout and stuff like that. And then uh, high school happened and I stopped fishing for a while and same with college. Um, and then I moved to the Twin Cities in 2012 and realized that I was really close to this amazing area to go trout fishing. Um, so went and bought my uh, first proper fly rod set up at the Fly Angler up in uh, Blaine and then uh, came to Bob Mitchell's Fly Shop, started taking uh, tying classes and went through their college and just met a good group of guys and, you know, started getting into fishing, met Matt, um, you know, maybe a year or two after that. And then uh, it's been downhill from then, you know, just constant turn into a trout bum, kind of traveling around through Driftless of Wisconsin and then Southeastern Minnesota. Um, so plenty of trout fishing. Every now and then I do make it out for like smallmouth or muskies on the fly rod. But uh, yeah, we try to spend most of our time trout fishing. That's for sure. Definitely a good spot for it. Mm-hmm. Sweet. So the winter, it's January, end of January and this is uh, the time for people like me to start experiencing some open water withdrawals. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I ice fish just to pass the time. It's not really a, something I am itching to do. Um, but I do know that the winter fly fishing season is open. It is. Correct. Yep, so yep. you can uh, find open streams and fish for trout that way. Um, so my question for you is one, how do you, how do you find the correct water system? that's going to hold trout this time of year, where are they going to be in that system? And then what are they, what are they eating this okay. time of year? Um, a good, if, if a river has trout in it in the summertime, it's going to have trout in it in the wintertime. Um, both Minnesota and Wisconsin have really good uh, websites for their DNR that list all the trout streams and, you know, where they are. They've got good maps um, they list the species that are in there and real good resources on the DNR yeah. websites for both states. And they'll put classes on the river too and let you know mm-hmm. as far as are there naturally reproducing um, populations of trout in there, what kind of population of trout is, yeah, is if, available in those those streams as well. And, and that the, can be super helpful. And the regs differ per river. Some rivers, you know, if, if you're going to keep trout, um the winter early season is all catch and release, all barbless. So, I mean, there's no keeping trout until the normal season mm-hmm. opens. But um, as far as where are they in the river, um, they they move around a little bit in the winter versus summer. But primarily, if if you're familiar with where trout are in the summer, that's where they'll be in the winter. Uh, if it's cold and you've had a long cold stretch, uh, they might be deeper, you know, just trying to stay warm. If it's been cold and you get a sunny day, they might move up into some shallower water and, you know, try to warm up. If you could, if there's one thing to look for, I would say moderate current with kind of a darker bottom on a sunny day. Cause that that'll heat up faster and a few degrees water temp change can make uh make or break it as far as yeah. if they're going to feed or not uh it's definitely not you, there's no reason to get up early in the winter right um 
you like want that. The, yeah, you want the, you want the sun to be on the water for a little bit and kind of warm it up a little bit, get the fish moving. They are cold blooded, so um, and yeah, it, they'll they'll pot up a little bit more in the winter. They won't be quite as spread out. So you might have stretches where there's nothing, and then you'll get into some, and you're into some. Yeah, I mean, there's I, mean, I remember specifically a winter time that Matt and I were out fishing. Um, and there was, I don't know, eight foot stretch, like eight foot trough kind of in the middle of the river. Him and I sat there and rotated back and forth for, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes and pulled 10, 12 trout out Mm -hmm. out of this same, just a little pod, just nymphing through. So when he says like they're potting up and kind of sticking together in those areas, if you can read the water and find out where those little troughs are, um, and just work slowly through those, um, you know, wintertime, you can do a lot more nymph fishing. Um, you'll get, you know, opportunities to fish, fish dries, but you're yeah, definitely not throwing, you know, eight inch streamers. Yeah. Well, typically. You, you could. In the wintertime. You'd, you'd need to be deep and go real slow. Yeah. Drag it across their face. Pretty much. <laughs> yep. Yep. So is it kind of one of those deals where it's like, if you're not finding them, just keep moving? Yep. Exactly. Yep. When, you, when you do find them, you can sit there for a little bit and catch a few. Don't, you know obviously try to catch all of them it's hard on the resource but right. um, when you find them you'll know you know and, and as far as winter fishing goes the whole theory of you know keep them wet is is a pretty something that you want to definitely keep in mind um you know you, you see a lot of uh fish photos sometimes in the winter of these little trout thrown on a on a snowbank yeah. If you can't avoid that. Um, that's really bad for, them. you know, you don't, don't I, keep them out of the water if it's below freezing. Cause you know, their gills will freeze yep. there. If you you're know. a human and you don't like a face wash, you're not going to like a bunch of snow up in your gills. If you're a fish. Um, yeah, they'll, you'll freeze up on them. So as as much fun as it is to fish in the winter time, just, you know, take a couple extra seconds and try to keep them in the water in the net if you can. And if you're should be fishing barbless, it's pretty easy to, Yep. Even release them without even touching the fish at that point and get them out of the get them out of the net. That was something that was a shock to me when I, you know, went from fishing lake species to trout was how delicate they are. Um, just from a total newbie standpoint, mm-hmm. I had no idea that you you know need to wet your hands before handling them, and you know even doing that, the mortality rate is still pretty high. Yeah, um, yeah, they're they're a lot tougher than uh, some people give them correct. credit for. Yeah, but. You definitely, you know, it's not like when, when the trout spawn, it's not like you've like bluegills where you've got like a billion of them, Mm -hmm. you know, in a little tiny lake. There's, it's a, it's more of a finite resource, I think. Okay. Yeah. So you, you just want to kind of cherish it and, you know, it's a little bit different. I think, I think once you've fly fished for a while and you've caught a bunch of fish, you, you get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's not about catching fish. It's about going fishing. And Matt and I have talked about the progression before too, is it's when, you know, when you start out trout fishing, fly fishing specifically, it's about numbers. You're like, Oh, I went and I caught 50 fish today. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that's pretty cool. And then your next step is like, well, I want to catch a big fish. Then you do that. And then the next step after that, you kind of get into, well, I want to catch a big fish with this kind of fly in these kind of conditions or this, this situation. And you just kind of progress through that. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you want to go and catch numbers, 
have at it. Um, my, my wife's grandfather keeps a full log for the last 50 years of every day he's gone fishing, how many fish he caught, what size they were. I mean, people keep logs like that, but it's all what you want to do and what you want to get out of it when you're out there. But we've, you know, we just go out there and enjoy the, enjoy the resource, enjoy the outdoors and hang out for a while in the water. Yeah. I think I'm, I think I'm caught somewhere in the, in the, like the big fish and the type of the, the progression of my, my buddy Ben and I talk a lot about like, we got to just carry streamers one day, you know, like <laughs> you know, it's like very, you know, you know, trendy or whatever, but it's like, we, don't, we never don't can, do that. We, yeah. we can never convince Cause then ourselves. you don't ever, ever like tie any other flights. No, we, it's like, we, I used to catch 20 fish nymphing and now I went all day with like one bump on a streamer and I'm like, Oh, it was pretty good. It was a good day. Yep. We, we always say we want to, but, yeah, we've been saying that for at least a year or two. We just yeah. never, we're, we, every time we go fishing, we we can't stick to that because it's, it's fun to catch fish. Mm-hmm. It is. Well, Matt and I do a lot of the, we'll bring a streamer rod and then the other guy will carry a nymph rod. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because, you know, if you're going out for a long walk, you might, you know, you might end up nymphing in the morning and then you get, you know, later in the afternoon or starts getting, you know, money time towards dark. And that's when you're going to start throwing big streamers. So if you're yeah. fishing with a buddy and you're okay f- casting each other's rods, it's Switch, switching off. A lot of times we'll nymph dry fly fish, you know, we'll park at a bridge and we'll fish up river for, you know, a mile or whatever. And then, um, and that's all nymph and dry fly. And then, you know, on the way back, like Grant said, it's later in the day, uh, the, fi- the bigger fish are starting to move. And then we'll switch over to that streamer rod and stro- throw streamers on the way back. So I just want to, yeah, I just, I just, re- I just realized, catch, catch me up. Yeah, here I just realized for both our audience and for Mike, <laughs> we might be getting into the weeds a little bit. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to do a quick overview of what we're talking about here. Um, okay. Dry flies, when we reference that, that's probably what a lot of people have in their mind of like the river runs through it. Um, oh, yeah. You know, yep. the, the fly fisherman who's laying out beautiful casts and the, the lure, the fly, which you've got on the end of your line bait is yeah. The bait, <laughs> all that, uh, is just a really delicate fly. That's going to look like an adult mayfly. And that's going to be, um, on the surface of the water. And you're going to fish that when fish are rising, mm-hmm. feeding off of those adult flies, um, off the surface of the water. Nymphing is the, um, well, the, that's not the larval stage. It's the, it's the nymph it's, stage. It's the larval pupil stage. So yeah. aquatic insects, um, spend the majority of their life underwater. Mm-hmm. Um, they hatch out of a mayfly egg or a caddis egg and they become little tiny nymphs and they live in the rocks and they eat stuff. You know, I yep. don't know. I yep. guess I don't know what a nymph eats, like <laughs> dead leaves and stuff like that. Yeah. Other nymphs. Slimy stuff. Um, and then once they uh, reach maturity, they swim to the surface of the water where they emerge. That's another fishing, fly fishing term, emerging, emerger. Um, and they become winged adults where they typically will spend, you know, 24, 48, maybe three days as a, as a winged adult. And they'll mate and the females will lay their eggs and it starts all over. So, yep. you know, it's a very, sh- the, the dry fly or the mature mayfly or caddis is a very short window in the bug's life. Yep. 
And speaking of DNR stuff, um, you can actually find really nice hatch charts for the driftless through the DNR too. And they're going to tell you, you know, what, you know, what uh, nymphs or, or dry flies to expect during certain times, mm-hmm. best guest estimate, right. Uh, throughout the year. So, you know, if, if you're going fishing in a month and you're like, I'm going to go in this section, well, here's an idea of what you could throw in your box or just be prepared for. Um, which yeah. is, which is huge for dry flies, especially if you're going to a new spot, you're like, to me, I mean, as, as, as far as a fly fishing goes, dry fly fishing is, is definitely my second favorite thing to do with a fly rod. And you definitely want to be prepared with some of those, especially sizing too. Sizing is something that you got to be careful of too, with the dry flies, cause they can be super picky. Yeah. Um, spoke specifically with dries. Um, so yeah, those kind of charts that you can get from the Wisconsin or Minnesota DNR are super helpful. Yeah. Cause the specific insects will only emerge. Um, they time it. So they all do it at the same time so they can you know reproduce in a fairly productive way. Um, but they'll happen at certain times of the year, you know, like the middle of May to the end of you know, May or, you know, June, like Grant said, it's, it's rough, roughly numbers. It depends on weather and water conditions and, but, excuse me. But yeah, so that's where looking at this chart really helps because the nymphs will be in the water all year. Mm -hmm. But if, if you want to go dry fly fishing or, you know, you have the chance of being out there when a hatch will come off, you definitely want to know what's coming. So you can be prepared. Yeah. And if I can throw any advice to a beginning fly fisher, man, woman, they, um, an Adams 14 or 16 in your box is going to carry a lot of different hatches that you could come across. You can trick some smaller trout, even probably on like a, a caddis hatch on a, on a smaller Adams parachute Adams. So just something to keep in your box at all times. Is, is but one then of you start tying flies. flies and that's not fun. Just to have one fly. I know. Just to do it you all. You need to have yeah. all the flies. You need to have all, all the flies time. and all the boxes. And then just to wrap up, the streamer is oh. kind of imitates more of like a bait fish pattern. It's just going to be a larger fly. Or uh, sculpins. Yeah, the woolly bugger is a real classic. Um, oh, a black and olive woolly bugger. It could be a leech. Mm-hmm. It could be a, a minnow. It could be... There, it's yeah. sort of like it, you lose the specificity of like a dry fly when you're talking about the sizing and the color and the exact exactly. insect you're trying, you're trying to match a, a streamer. Uh, it's just a big piece of meat yeah. uh, that they're going to well, go hit. So. And Matt will tie up these uh, little, um, the super troopers is one of his flies and he, he ties them in a pattern that will look like a, 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 a small brook trout or a small rainbow. Mm-hmm. Um, and those work really well. Um, because you get these big browns that are just carnivorous and they just want to eat stuff and they're used to those colors and they'll just go on and just crush them. So one of my favorite memories, um, fishing in Southwest Wisconsin, we were, we had finished our day and we were standing over a bridge, you know, just looking at like a pod of fish. It was just like just tons of them. And, uh, they were just feeding and kind of just normal behavior. And then we just saw like probably a, 12, 13 inch brown, just T-bone, like a seven inch, seven, mm-hmm. eight inch brown. Oh yeah. And I, we were just stunned. We just saw it like <laughs> saw movement and then just perpendicular in his mouth, just T-boned him. Yep. And you get, you can, it's very easy to get wrapped up in like 
Oh, and just thinking that they only eat bugs and they only eat yeah. them at this oh, no. certain windows and whatnot. And then you see something like that happen and you kind of get like, oh boy. There's been There's plenty of, of times. <laughs> There's um, a lot of options out there. Plenty of times nymphing or even dry fly fishing where you catch a smaller trout and it's fighting and it's struggling. It's, you're bringing it in, especially in like a deeper corner pool. And you'll bring it in. All of a sudden you see this bigger brown coming and just chasing it. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, just eat it. Just eat it. <laughs> Never happens. Well, to me, it never happens. I'm sure it's happened to You've others. Had some experiences like that, Mike. Yeah, with <laughs> with muskies and pike and stuff. Oh yeah, catch one and the other one comes in and hits it, and you end up getting both in the net, two for one. <laughs> um, I got one more follow up question about what you were saying, and you were saying that you have a a nymph rod and a dry fly rod, correct? A nymph- what, are, what are the? Or I'm sorry. Well, like, a streamer rod. What really, the, what you can have all three. Technically, but typically how man I fish is we are, we've got a, like a four weight, um, eight and a half foot rod that we'll use for dry fly fishing and nymph fishing. Mm-hmm. And then when we get into streamers, we're throwing bigger streamers, um, usually articulated two hook streamers. So we're throwing like a six weight. Um, and that's just got a little different action on it. Um, heavier line. We can throw a, a full sink or even just a, a heavier shooting head floating line. Um, and at that point, that gets into a whole different leader game too. You're shortening your leaders. Um, but that's that's kind of the difference you're looking at between your... Because with your dry flies, you want that nice soft, soft cast with it where you're not disturbing the top of the water too much. Where the streamer rod, you're just... You want something that you can, you can huck it pretty good with. And then all of a sudden also have a good tip on it too to get some action in the fly when you're working across the stream. So I can imagine a streamer probably holds more water in it as yeah. well. So it's carrying a little bit more weight while you're going back and forth with the cast. Yeah. So fly rods come in weights and there's zero through, I don't know, the biggest I've seen is 14. Yeah. Um, typically for trout, you don't need much bigger than a six of, uh, four to five is, is a really good range for around here. And how you gauge what size rod slash line you need is um, by the flies you're going to throw. A lot of people think, oh, I'm fishing for big fish. I need a big rod. Well, yes and no. Uh, it's, it's more for uh, the, the flies that you're throwing. If you're throwing smaller flies like around here, most everything is like a 20 through maybe a 12 would be a big mayfly. And if you throw some grasshoppers or something in late summer. So like, uh, you know, you'd, you'd struggle to throw that grasshopper with a, a four weight, but you could throw it with a five weight all day long. Um, for around here, I'd say if you were going to buy a rod to start out with, I would get something in the five weight range. I don't think you need something six, a little big. Um, but for trout, I would say four or five weight. Mm-hmm. And if you go to, to one of the shops in town or wherever you live and you say, you know, hey, I, I want to fish for trout, I think I want a five-weight rod. That'd be a great place to start. Yeah. And then from there, you know, once you fish that five-weight for a while, you might want to branch out. You might want to fish some smaller bugs or, you know, just the challenge of casting a, a lighter rod, you know, so you get a three-weight. And then, you know, you get into streamers and you say, you know, every time I cast this streamer on this five weight, you know, it kind of feels like my rod's going to break and I'm a little nervous, but well, you should step up to a six or a seven, mm-hmm. you know, and then that's when you start getting, um, 
specific rods for specific things that you're doing. Yeah. And, and going back to, you know, rods and choosing a rod and, and fly shops and talking to them, go into a fly shop and talk to them and say, I want to cast this rod. Um, any fly shop worth its weight is going to have a rod and they'll have a reel with some line on it. You can go and they'll gladly walk outside and cast it with you. Mm-hmm. Um, that way you get the feel. Cause everybody's, um, you know, everybody's got a different cast. Um, whether it's good or bad, everybody has a different cast and every rod casts a little different. So the more, as weird as this is going to sound is the more rods you can get your hand on, <laughs> um, the better you're going to be able to figure out what, yeah. what works well for you. Definitely. Right. Yeah. Um, I think if, if you've been in the game long enough, you've probably owned a few rods that you were like, Oh, that's all right. And then you find a rod that you really like. And then that's when you start, you know, investing your money yeah. for that type of rod, you know, depending on what you want to do. And I'd say, take your time too. I, I felt when I got into it, I kind of was aware of that, that I should test things out, but I still felt an anxiety of like going in and really putting yourself out there and like, Oh, I need to go practice with this out back. Like, let me, and I didn't even know what I was looking for, like in terms of like what I'd feel. Um, so I kind of rushed through the process and I got to, you know, if you go to any local fly shop, they're going to, most every rod they're going to carry is a good rod. They come yeah, with a lot, yeah, a lot you know, of the rods. You're not going to buy a piece of junk, but all, all the rods are pretty good now. Yeah. I mean, back when I started, there was some, some really good rods. And then there was a lot of like, not really good rods where you, by buying one of the cheaper rods, you would be doing yourself a disservice. You would form bad habits by casting that bad rod yeah. that are hard to break, you know, as you progress in the sport. But nowadays I think, Every rod is, you know, a good rod. And yep. then there's some great rods. Another thing to think about too, um, cause uh, you're going to need a reel as well to go with this. You do not have to spend a ton of money on a reel. No, um, take your budget for your rod and reel and put 90% of it at the rod. Yeah. Cause really, I mean, people say it all the time. Your reel is there to hold line. Um, if you're trout fishing, you're not getting in, unless you're steelhead fishing, that's different. Yeah. Um, you're not going to use the drag uh, on your reel. Um, especially around here. Yeah. Especially around here, Montana. Yeah. Out west, get- that's a little different, but around here. Yeah. You're not, you're not reeling in, uh, getting in and using your drag and things like that around here. Cause the rivers just aren't moving fast enough really yeah. to where out west. That's a, that's just kind of a different game. Yeah. So we talked about how to uh, properly care for the fish and keeping them warm in the winter. How does the angler keep themselves warm? What, what kind of gear are you wearing? What are you? Without a nice house. Gore-Tex. Yeah. <laughs> I'm used to like my Mr. Buddy heater and a- Gore-Tex, Gore-Tex, yeah. Gore-Tex. Yeah. You're going to, you're just, you're going to be cold. Yeah, um, that's true. But uh, no clothing and gear has come a long ways. Um, a good base layer of, you know, doesn't have to be the most expensive, but a pretty quality, um, like Merino wool or some of the synthetics, uh, base layer goes a long ways. And then it's just like, they always say layers, 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 you know? And, um, yeah, you need enough, but not too much. Right. If you start getting stuff tight, Mm -hmm. then it will restrict your blood flow. And sweaty. You stay cold and yeah. you get sweaty. Um, I'd say good socks. Um, the water 
typically is going to be warmer than the air. So mm. um, standing in the water is sometimes warmer than standing on the shore. Yeah. You can feel your, you can feel your feet warm up in the winter. Once yep. you step into it, it'll remove a little ice off of you. Another thing too, I'd recommend um, I've seen a lot of guys waiter up before we even get to the stream. Mm. So they'll put all their stuff on at the house. Mm-hmm. And then we drive 45 minutes to an hour to the, the river and then they hop in. Yeah, sure. Um, if you guys hunt, you know, that's a terrible idea. Yeah. Um, even I go as far as I'll put on a different pair of socks by the time I hit the river, um, put on a fresh pair of socks or even just carry, make sure you have a fresh pair of socks or fresh. If you're winter fishing, make sure you have a fresh set of clothes in your car, just in case you fall in. Uh, get wet, leaky waders, something like that. Um, yeah. That'll, it's not going to save your life, but it's going to make that ride home a lot, a lot nicer than if you were. Yeah. Um, good base layer fleece. There's a lot of good fleece stuff now. Like I, I put on a pair of long underwear and some heavy fleece pants that I have, and that's a good pair of socks. Goes a long ways. Yep. That's yep. my bottom. And then, you know, kind of repeat that on the top and, Maybe throw a down jacket on the top and you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. My wife and I were talking about this last night and she was, uh, she was asking about gloves and cause we, we were up North on the North shore over the new year and we tried to, you know, just poke around a little bit and see mm-hmm. if there's any fish in any holes. And she was just like, I can't believe how cold it is. You know, <laughs> she was asking about gloves and you know, the fingerless gloves and whatnot. And it, there are solutions to a point. Yeah. But then I think there's a, a point where it's like, well, I want to fish during the winter. If you want to fish, you, you have to sort of understand that like to fish correctly or fish, um, you know, the way you want to by feeling the line mm-hmm. and whatnot, you need to feel it with your fingertips, not yep. through a glove. And so you just have to sacrifice. You're going to be cold a little bit. And yeah, as long and- as you're being safe and like not, you know, falling in the river and you're not pushing it too long you know, be cold for a little while and you might catch more fish and then, a and then small, take a longer lunch. A small towel goes a long ways. Keep yeah. your hands dry. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times I, you know, I'll definitely take my gloves off when I fish. Mm-hmm. And I found uh, they've got the shirts now that have those little thumb holes in the, the sleeve. Those do a really good job of when you've got your core warm, just having that little bit of shirt, over the top part of your hand helps a lot. And then while you're fishing, you can have your gloves in your pocket and you fish and then you start to get cold or you catch a couple of fish and you switch off with your buddy and then you put your gloves on and you put your hood up and you, you know, you warm back up and. Yeah. Yeah. That goes a long ways. Or even, you know, I would say all of most of good or even decent fly fishing waders are going to have that chest pocket. I love the chest. Um, You know, throw a couple of hand warmers in there. Um, just watch it when you're pulling your hands out there, not dropping the hand warmers in the river or, you know, yeah. dropping them yeah. in people's property or anything. But even just a little of that, like Matt said, when, when you're honestly winter fishing, go with a buddy, you I, can switch I always, off. I would always go with the buddy. Because it's safety and you can get out of the river and then you're sitting there and you can warm up. You know, that's, I mean, it makes it just a lot more enjoyable, I think, mm-hmm. in the long run. But uh, yeah, I do the same thing. I've got... Specifically, I wear, it's the smart wool, like 200 Merino wool base layer, um, thick pair of sweatpants. Um, Sims makes these awesome, those guide socks. Yep. Super. 
Those super are comfy, good. like real thick. real thick. Those are amazing. Um, I've got a ton of different Merino wool socks, but they don't compare to those Sims guide socks when it comes to fishing in the winter. Um, and then just make sure you're covering your head too, is that's, uh, that's going to save you a long, long ways too. You might want to wear your favorite fishing hat, but just put a, put a proper <laughs> like winter hat on when you're out there fishing. So on the topic of waders, there's a, a million different kinds of waders out there. I mean, I can see a few different kinds right there on the wall of the shop and there's neoprene and there's, I mean, I can't even think of all the different yeah. fabrics, but then they have the they're kinds with like the boots that are like stitched in. Oh yeah. And then they have like the ones where you actually put like a wading boot on. Yep. Um, can you just kind of briefly talk about the, what you prefer and why? And I like the boot on, as you described it, the, like where the boot is separate from the waiter. Um, cause the boots wear out, um, faster than the waiters, especially if you put a lot of miles on. Yep. Um, so you can replace those without having to replace your, your whole waiter setup. The ones with the boots in it are, or that are part of the waiter. If you do a lot of like winter steelhead fishing or duck hunting or, a lot of winter fishing where you're constantly in the cold, those will keep your feet warmer. Um, I don't, I don't know. My feet don't ever really get cold. So that's the cold feet's not a problem, but um, I know a lot of people that have the boot foot waiter that say it keeps mm. their feet warmer. I would, uh, you know, you brought up neoprene waders. Um, I, you know, Grew up duck hunting and doing docks and lifts in the spring yeah. and the fall. Yeah. Um, owned plenty pairs of, of neoprene waders. I would never wear a pair of neoprene waders, specifically winter fishing. Yeah. Because they get so heavy and get so full of ice. Whereas in these new, you know, they're not all Gore-Tex, but Matt and I were, we've got the Sims G4s, um, which are the warmest, most comfortable waders I've ever had. I don't care if it's July, I'm going to wear those. Um, I don't get super hot, but in the wintertime, they're light. You can walk around them and easy. You're not getting fully iced up, you know, where those neoprenes will start to feel like cement blocks in each one of your feet as you're walking around. And then as far as, you know, stocking foot where you have the boot that's separate, my ankles are like glass just from bad decisions growing up is like skateboarding and doing stupid shit like that. You get a lot more support around your ankles and, you know, especially stepping on rocks and slipping around stuff like that. I feel, I feel like they're just a lot more comfortable, if, especially if you're spending all day in your mm -hmm. waders. Mm -hmm. I'll take that over those boot foot waders any day. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad that you said that. Cause that was one of my questions. I'd, I'm a, the only waiter pair, the pair of waders that I have are ones that I wear duck hunting, thick neoprene boot stitched in. Yeah. Yep. They're really warm. But if I had to step up on like a 16 inch rock, I can't lift my knee up that high. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're just and, like, they're yep. so heavy and thick and tight. And I would so. say if you had a good pair of fleece pants and Gore-Tex or some type of breathable waiter, you would be equally as warm oh, yeah. in that as you are in those big, thick, heavy neoprene waders. I've got, a, I've got a buddy of mine in North Dakota um, does a ton of duck hunting and he just in the last year switched over to G3s. Mm. He said, I don't know why I didn't do this earlier. I mean, he spends, he spends more time in a duck line than anybody I know. 
And he's like, yeah, I wish I would have done this a lot, a lot sooner. Mm. Yeah. You just stay warmer. You don't have to, and you've got more room to put in layers, mm-hmm. you know, rather than those neoprenes, they kind of really <laughs> suck into yeah. you when you're trying to yeah. put them on. And the other thing nice about like these breathable or Gore-Tex is uh, if you're getting in your truck or car to go to the next spot, brush your butt off and they're dry. Good to go. Yeah. You know, your neoprene's not soaking into your seats and getting everything else wet. Um, yeah, it's just easier to deal with, I think, at the end of the day. Yeah, and when you do start sweating, you know, if the sun comes out and it warms up a little bit and you're walking around, it it will breathe off some of that moisture from, it keeps it from building up. Like you pull those neoprenes off and you're just soaking wet underneath, mm-hmm. even when it is, you know, 20 degrees out. But as far as, you know, waders go, you can go from $100 pairs to thousand dollar pairs and they're all pretty good you just have to ask yourself how much am i going to go fishing yeah how many days am i going to spend on those waders yep because the more expensive ones will end up lasting you longer in the long run but if you're a guy that goes a dozen times a year you know, you can get away with a $200 pair of waders for probably five, six years. Yeah. You know, if you're not crawling around on the ground and well, I bought jumping barbed wire fences. I bought Ash. I bought Ash a pair of, I think they're the Reddington, I don't know, female waders or whatever. And we got those four years ago. And I think they're maybe 180 bucks. Um, and yeah, I mean, she goes out a handful of times a year and they're still great condition. Right. Um, Brand new. I think between the boots and the waders that we got for maybe 250 bucks into the setup, yep. um, which is expensive. Yes. But she can also go out when it's 80 degrees out and not be dying as you would in a pair of neoprene waders yeah. or like rubber hippers or something like mm-hmm. that. So, yep. but yeah, like Matt said, you can spend 200, you can spend a thousand dollars in your setup. Yeah. And just, just to, to how many days you want to spend. Talk about the, the, touch on the pricing here of some of the gear that it takes to get into fly fishing. I think there are a lot of components, but which certainly can add up. It's a, it's a niche sport Mm -hmm. that uh, values like the, the vintage uh, heirloom sort of uh, quality of things. And then there's, there's the whole gamut of things. Uh, So you can really spend a lot of money getting into it, but you don't have to. No, you definitely don't have to, but I will say, um, fly fishing is versatile enough that you can find a lot of days to get out and use your equipment throughout the whole year. Whereas there are a lot of other outdoor pursuits where the season's limited. So you've only got a small window where you can enjoy it. Now, I mean, if you've got a winter season that leads into a spring, you've got all summer. You can fish in Minnesota from January 1st through the second week of October, Mm -hmm. you know, and if you want to go to Iowa, you can fish, fish year round. Well, you can also fish the, you can also fish the state parks, state park sections in Minnesota. You can, so you, yeah, the state parks, you can fish year round. And if Um, you have any other travel opportunities, pack your rod at my wife and I have, that's just a part of our, what we do when we travel. It's like bring the fly rod because if there's any water source, you can likely go fish. As a, as a outdoor sport, it's, you know, like you said, it's pretty versatile and you can, Pretty much fish year round. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I'm sitting next to these. There's these Reddington path setups that they sell. So you get your rod, your reel, your line, and a travel case for it. 
and you're looking at under 200 bucks. Sure. Um, for all that to go out and you can be fishing the next day and it's in that five weight setup that we talked about. Yep. And that's going to yeah. cover 95% of the fishing you want to do, whether it's trout fishing or bass fishing or smallmouth fishing. Uh, that's bass too, isn't it? Or pan okay. fishing. Yeah. You know, you, you can get out for a reasonable amount of money. And you can always convince yourself to get the next new piece of gear, but you wouldn't need to necessarily, we've talked about waders. You don't necessarily need to get waders. If you want to say that you nope. want to fish during oh, the yeah. summer and you can put on a pair of sandals and some shorts and get wet, that's fine. Yep. Go do that. And you really could get away with that setup and you'd have a, you could. a heck of a summer. And, yeah. And there's a lot of used gear sales. Like, oh yeah. Um, TU has one coming up and Bob Mitchell's does one every year. And there's probably a handful of other ones around yep. where, you know, people that are upgrading, you know, just because they got to have the new stuff, you know, sell their old stuff and there's probably nothing wrong with it. And you can get it for pretty cheap. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm pretty good for cruising Facebook marketplace on a daily basis. <laughs> And I always dive in like just fly fishing just to see what's out there. Sure. And yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of, like Matt said, there's a lot of guys that are out there saying, all right, I want to upgrade because I've been doing it for a year. I like what I have, but I feel like there's something else I can get to. Or you get some of the demographic of the Metro Twin Cities area. Well, I tried it and I really don't like it. I'm going to move on to a different sport. So you can find deals like that across too, but always check with your local fly shops because a lot of people bring stuff into the fly shop and say, hey, I want to sell this or they know somebody trying to sell something. Um, it's always a good way to go about it too. Um, but I do know Bob Mitchell's as well. Um, if you just wanted to try it out, they do have waders and boots and stuff for rental. Um, so that's always an option too. Um as, as far as getting into some waders or something like that. So we were talking a little bit about, uh, you know, not necessarily needing waders or if you're going out in the summertime, um, you mentioned throwing out a pair of sandals going out. Um, I would recommend if you have an old pair, if you don't have wading boots, if you have an old pair of tennis shoes or old pair of hiking boots, mm -hmm. uh, wear those, you know, you're going to save a lot of toenails that way. Um, also long pants, um, there are these stinging nettles. Yeah. Okay. Um, that will ruin wild, wild parsnips and wild parsnips. They have to be careful of, uh, that will ruin your day. Um, so I would not wear shorts and flip flops fishing. I wouldn't. Um, yeah. <laughs> you if you're going, it was more could. of a, a phrase <laughs> yeah. than anything. If, 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 if you, all right. If you could wear that fly fishing some places, yeah. but I wouldn't fish a stream in the driftless Midwest yeah. area that we are yeah. wearing that. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to end up with a bad day at the end of it. And even if, you know, they make some of these cheap sun shirts, like long sleeve sun, sh sun shirts, highly recommend that. Cause a lot of time you're going to be bust and brush. Um, you know, it's just going to save your forearms and everything. Our, our buddy Ben had a bad year with stinging nettle. He got, he got destroyed and then the subsequent like infection. And it was, yeah, it was yeah, a whole big deal. Is, I hate it. The it's first time good. I ever went fly fishing was probably five years ago. Was with a friend of my brother's and I had Brian, and he lives down in Rochester. Mm -hmm. And he's a big fly fisherman. And we went out in that, you know, wearing shorts and sandals. And we had walked down the stream and we knew where the uh, truck was parked. We're like, well, let's just take the shortcut back. 
And that shortcut <laughs> was just, it was, it was stinging nettles and it was like up to the, up to your chest. Yeah. And at that point you just had to just kind of yeah run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go as fast as you can. Yeah. They yeah, make those like awful. real lightweight, breathable pants. They're yep. kind of baggy and they're usually a khaki type color. Those are real good to wear in the summertime. Um, I even, I I'll even wear a pair of like, um, they're like Adidas, like tights or like running pants. I use man, like man long, yoga pants, Lululemon. man yoga pants. Yeah. I wear those like under a pair of shorts, yeah. um, when we go wet waiting. Um, and that'll, that'll keep the stinging nettles and Barbie stuff and crap that you're kind of walking through. Um, yeah, it's, I would just highly recommend be less painful. It would be less painful. But if you want the pain, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have at it. Um, but just know that first time trout fishing, even in the summertime, as much as you can stay out of the water, you don't want to be tromping through the stream, especially if you're walking downstream. Cause you're just, you're taking all that sediment and pushing it downstream into the holes that you're going to fish. So just try and, you know, stay off and just something that Robert from Bob Mitchell's is, is always, you know, preached is just think about trout have this vision of your rod length. So, you know, if you're coming up to like a side hole or a bank undercut bank, just, just know that that distance is kind of what you're going to want to keep off that water. So like eight to nine feet, eight to nine feet. For yeah. those that don't know how long a fly rod is. True. Yeah. Eight to nine feet. Sometimes if the sun's, you know, straight up there, you might have to army crawl your way to the side to take a little peek. But yeah, just, you don't have to be, even though yeah, you I have mean, waders on, you don't have to be in the water all the time. We fished rivers, you know, down in Southeastern Minnesota that um, are super clear, super low water. And like, that's all we see is fish, you know, running from us all day long. And yep, it gets yep. pretty, pretty frustrating sometimes. Yeah, your shadow will be 20 feet away from them and you just see this pot of fish just shoot off. So, you know, it's it's kind of some of the stealthy stockiness, especially if mm-hmm. cloudy days, like when usually Matt and I are pretty good about fishing or picking fishing weekends that are either monsoons or <laughs> usually monsoons, usually monsoons or just bluebird, scorching hot bluebird sky, like sun straight up in the air kind of days or 20 below zero or yeah, that, <laughs> that also happens. That's when fires happen. Um, but, uh, you have yeah, to take it, your right area to have a good fire, it, a good fire and some hot dogs. Yes. In your backpack. Yep. Goes a long way. It really does. It brings up the morale. Even if you're not catching fish, if you can have a streamside hot dog, um, Cooked over have, a fire. Cooked over a fire is the best way to go about it. Yeah, it's amazing to to notice like how much like once you start to fish a, a stream repeatedly and kind of understand the holes that you're approaching and whatnot. Like, yeah, you you could have fish that are gonna spook from forty feet away. Like, just they can see you from so far off, and yeah, that's so frustrating. But then, like I mentioned earlier, let's say you're on the North Shore and the the water's running fast, and you could be standing on the edge of the yep. hole fishing into it, and the proximity is totally out the window. It's it's just a function of how you're fishing. Are you fishing deep and fast mm-hmm. or completely still, gin clear with dries that they can they'll spook on your leader anytime. Yep. You know, so that's just something to be aware of. Like it, you're gonna you're gonna have days of success and days of utter frustration yep. because you can't and that's what <laughs> makes nothing it you fun. can do. So you, you just know? gotta figure out what, what works. Yeah. That's what makes it fun is you know, you you're not going to always go catch your limit of crappies. You know, it's, yep. it's 
you might not catch anything. You might not even see anything. Yeah. I mean, I've had days like that. And then you get those days where everything lines up and you just rock them all day long. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I find enticing is that there's so many um, parallels to my experiences with like bow hunting deer, for example, mm-hmm. is like expecting to like be kind of stealthy and to approach your target or your game or your fish um, with a lot of like care. Yeah. You don't want to be spooking things and, um, and the game of patience. Yeah, I would say fly fishing would be the bow hunting of the fishing world, you know, a yeah. little more specific, a little more care and skill needs to go into it than just, you know, sitting in a tree with a, I powered rifle, thirty odd six. <laughs> well, and I, I think also at the, from what I know about bow hunting, which is pretty limited, um, you get kind of gear nutty over it mm-hmm. too, right? Like yeah, I've got all the new for that. Yeah, exactly. All the new new gear that comes out, new stuff you want to try out. I mean, it, that's that comes down to fly fishing. Like, oh, that new rod came out, or mm-hmm. what about that reel or the lines? We could do a whole nother episode just on lines, mm-hmm. um, lines and leaders. Um, you know, that's, you can, you can nerd out as far as you want on it. You can nerd out, but I will say you don't have anybody to. that wants to get into it. Don't be intimidated by that. Mm-mm. You can, I had, you know, a statement down here. What is a fly, right? Like Tom Rosenbauer with Orvis and his fly fishing. <laughs> he loves that question. What's a yep. fly? He, he'll, yep. he'll give, you know, a wide berth of like anything really can be a fly. And well, it's kind of funny. That's kind of true. There are days where you're going to get skunked and there's been days where it doesn't, it seems to not matter what you're going to do. You can catch some fish. So yep. you don't need to, I would say, find out if you like it and find out what you like about the sport before you get in into the weeds and get nerding out about the gear, the yeah. lines, the leaders, the rod types, the, you know, do I want to fish dries or nymphs only or stream, you know, the, the rabbit hole is long and deep you can go <laughs> yeah. if you want to but you certainly don't need to to get started you know it's things can stay relatively basic to catch some fish mm-hmm. um, even even with the species you target yeah we're all kind of circling around trout here because we like to fish for trout but fishing for panfish pan on a fly rod so is fun. really really fun well i i would say if you if you're gonna learn to cast a fly rod into catch fish and and know how to handle a fish on a fly rod go bluegill fishing Mm -hmm. i mean that's that's how i taught my wife that's how i learned how to um really handle you know a fly pole with bait fly pole jesus (laughs) (laughs) um no it's just did you just call it bait i did again i did again um no yeah it's just a it's just just a good way to go about it yep but I, th- I th- you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, keeping it simple if we're talking about winter fishing, Matt, hey. six flies, winter fishing. That's a lot of flies. Well, okay. Let's call it four. Flies. Yeah. Four flies. Four flies, winter fishing. If you had four flies in your box. I would have a Griffiths net. What size? 16. Um, I would have a size 20. Zebra midge, a size 18 pheasant tail, 
And as much as it do pains it. me to say it, do a, it. a pink squirrel. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yes. It, it, I don't know what it is. I, I hate that fly, but I love it. I'll throw one more in there. Yeah. I will suggest a rainbow warrior as well. That's pretty uh, good too. Um, yeah, but I was kind of keeping it basic. Flies. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't getting all crazy. I don't think a rainbow warrior is crazy. Well, Sounds not every, not every shop has a rainbow yeah, warrior. That's pretty true. exotic for Minnesota. Well, if you knew, if you need a rainbow warrior, you could reach out to Epsworth flies on Instagram and uh, like maybe that. talk them into tying one. Uh, who's that? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, um, yeah. You can, you can keep your, your winter fly selection um, pretty slim. It's midges are going to be the big player and blueing owls are starting to get going. So that's where that small pheasant tail comes in. Um, but yeah, think, think tiny yeah. as far as, as far as your trout flies go this time of year. Mm-hmm. One of the appeals as an outsider to fly fishing is the aspect of making your own what would we call a fly? Yeah. Right. That classifies a lure. I don't know. Flies. No, it's a fly. Oh, it's a fly. Don't say anything else. You'll get <laughs> okay. chastised. So we'll, I we'll promise. Sti- we'll stick with flies. Forgive my <laughs> ignorance. Um, just for, for me, I have, I have a assortment of outdoor hobbies. Yep. So like if I go out and I shoot pheasants, I'm pulling the tails mm-hmm. and then I, I make musky baits out of the feathers of, turkeys and pheasants and grouse and ducks and stuff that I shot. And I know that kind of, that culture is ingrained in fly fishing. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's one of those things for me as somebody that makes baits, it kind of gets me through the off season. Mm -hmm. It's it's almost like there's no off season because when I'm fishing, I'm fishing. And then when I can't, I'm making baits for fishing and I'm still thinking about it. Yep. Exactly. It's a, it's a year round addiction for me anyways. And really, if you're a, if you go pheasant hunting, pheasant tails can get you a lot of friends, a lot of friends. <laughs> yeah. And, and really a pheasant tail nymph will catch you fish year round. Um, and that's really, if you think about a three material fly, mm-hmm. all you need is some wire and some peacock curl and you've got yourself a pheasant tail nymph and you're, you're set to go, you know, tie entire range of sizes of those and you can you're good to go year round yeah that would be a if you had to pick one fly yep i'd pick a pheasant tail yep weighted and unweighted both i mean you're gonna you're gonna set yourself up well there for for me the appeal of you know i didn't really know that people tied their own flies when i first started fishing for trout and and fly fishing but that i you know it was pretty quickly after i realized that that you know was a big part of the the hobby and it just really like allows like you kind of say mike for that extra involvement like an, an extra level of like intimacy in what you're doing mm-hmm. it's not like you know you're going to cabela's and picking up you know a bunch of rapalas and it's just like all right that's what i need to catch bass and walleyes and whatnot but like it's fine yeah. but like for you know to be able to like let's say shoot a deer and then save some of the hide yeah. and tie some deer hair wise with that and like repurpose it or go shoot a grouse and mm-hmm. a pheasant like not that you have to do that but it it really like adds a level of like satisfaction and just sort of like pride and yeah. uh history and just sort of like this connection to like what you're doing it 
Yeah, it's for it's me. I really, found it to be really appealing. It's a really good feeling to catch a fish on a fly that you tied, mm-hmm. especially yes. when it's the first fish you caught on a fly that you tied. It's it's an amazing you know feeling of accomplishment. Like I made the fly, I cast the fly, and I caught the fish. I think mm-hmm. it's something really deep that like we in 20, 2020 now have like forgotten, like mm-hmm. you used to have to do this. Like yeah. you used to have to go make a thing yep. and get food. Yep. Right. Exactly. And, and there's been generations where that's lost. That's fine. Like that's a whole nother conversation, but like <laughs> it's as soon as you do it, you're like, Oh, like that makes sense. Like I identify with that at some level. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, I guess I would phrase it as like you, you have more ownership over, what you're fishing with. Yep. Like you own, you own baits. We have ownership over the stuff that you make. Mm-hmm. And for me, catching a muskie on, on something that I tied and put together feels so much better because I, I shot the bird that gave me the pheasants. I spent the time to put the stuff all together and then found the spot. Like you say, yep. made the cast, got the fish in. This is like, all of that is a product of my own work and my, all of my passions coming together. Yeah. There comes, isn't a, like a, there isn't a really a place that in my other hobbies where everything comes together like that. Yeah. As it does with making your own baits and your own flies. So to really nerd out in fly fishing, you can make your own rods. <laughs> you sure you can. Make can. Your, you can make your own rod and cast your own flies. Yep. We, we did, a, we made did our that. own rods. Uh, Not yeah, fly rods. Some heavy but, pike rods. Mm-hmm. Nice. A few years ago. It's fun. I don't fish that rod as much as I should. I never got the reel to match. That was part of the problem. Yeah. Just hand line it. You'll be all right. <laughs> yeah. I've seen that tactic where you like stick the fly yep. rod under and you do the overhand. Oh, the, uh, the salt, the salt water strip on it. Yeah. yeah. Speed stripping. Speed stripping. But yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, the, the fly tying, you know, don't, don't not get into fly fishing cause you're not tying flies. That comes later on after you've fully nerded out and mm-hmm. realized that you don't want to buy flies from the shop anymore. Yep. But yeah, I mean, this might be getting, I don't want to wrap this up if we're not done, but um, the fly fishing community in general, and especially in the Twin Cities, is a pretty open and friendly group of people no matter what shop you go to the guys that hang out at those shops are more than willing to help out a new person oh yeah um there are several fly tying nights and events and they go on and there's all kinds of people there with all different skill levels and if you can find somebody that's just a little bit better than you buy him a beer Yep. And, you know, sit down and he'll teach you everything, you know, hopefully he'll teach you um, some stuff you didn't know uh, with fly fishing. You know, if you there's a whole bunch of fishing events that happen with the shops around here, just go and you'll start seeing the same people and, you know, just mingle and talk to people. And next thing you know, you've got, you know, a handful of fishing buddies that you can call up on any weekend and be like, Hey, anybody going fishing? And you get a couple of yeses and you start fishing together and you 
they know a spot and you know a spot and now you know two spots and then you fish with this guy and he knows a couple spots and yep. it just snowballs after that. Yep. And even if you're out in the stream, you see somebody, don't be afraid to go up and, you know, chat with them or, you know, ask them how they're doing or, or if they have any suggestions, you know, don't say, Hey, can I have a fly out of your box? But <laughs> you know, most, I would say most of the people that you're going to run into around here on the streams, you know, they're fairly friendly. Fairly friendly. Strike up a conversation. If you've got an extra beer in your pack, offer them a beer, have mm -hmm. a conversation. Um, you know, that's that's how I got, you know, pretty, um, I'd say, deep into the fly fishing scene around the Twin Cities. Just same thing. Going to events, talking to people, going to tie nights, um, and just not being afraid to talk to people. Yep. Um, you know, we're, it, it's, it's, it's not this you know, prestigious sport that, yeah. you know, people put out there and um, we're pretty open book about most things. And, and especially with the social media now, I mean, if you're on Instagram or Facebook, uh, you can follow a couple hundred different people and you start, you can start a conversation on there without actually having to meet the person. Next thing you know, it's, Hey, what are you doing next weekend? You want to go meet at this bridge and go fishing. You know, you've never met the yeah. person. Yeah. And next thing you know, you're standing on a bridge drinking a beer and lining up to go fishing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's a good way to, you know, learn new techniques, you know, possibly try out different rods, um, you know, check different spots out. But just know that, you know, you know, you should share as well as not just consume. Um, that's always helpful. Or if you don't have anything to share, bring beer. <laughs> <laughs> so if our listeners are have any uh, remaining questions after listening to this podcast, how do they get a hold of you guys? Can they, well, you can, you, uh, you can find us on Instagram. It's uh, called three BT media, or uh, if you look up the Brown trout and bridge beers, hashtag uh, you can find us through there. Uh, Brown trout and bridge beers on Facebook as well. Yep. You shoot us a message. Um, you know, we'll respond back to you guys as soon as we can. Um, we'll answer any questions. You know, we're always, we're always out trying to, you know, meet up, go fishing, you know, get people together, go fishing, you know, mm -hmm. teach people. Um, so yeah, we're, we're open to anything along those lines. Sweet. And we got to get you guys out on the stream too. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I'm hoping that our listeners are sharing the same sentiment, but I am like, I'm all in <laughs> ready, this. ready to get out. I, I'm hoping that also my, when my wife listens to this, she also is excited. So hey. then, so then it becomes less of a, we can get the yeah. ladies, we can get the ladies out fishing too. Uh, my wife loves, well, she's a dry fly snob. So I will say that. And that's not even hurtful towards her because she won't fish anything but dry flies. So if your wife wants to also go dry fly fishing, we can, <laughs> we can get them together and your let wife's, them you cast that dry flies. She's she might a, be like a sucker snob or something. She's a, she's a musky oh, snob. Yeah. Sucker fishing. That's a, that's a whole nother conversation. We did, um, she and I just did. <laughs> A few years ago, we were in Scotland and we, there was a, a stream that we saw and some guy loaned us some, some rods and stuff. And we went down and fly fished and missed a, just a crap load of trout. But <laughs> did you have to wear, it, did so. you have to wear tweed jackets and everything? No, but I, I, I would have had I had the opportunity, but, um, so I, I, I certainly think she'd be oh, open she, for doing she's something got, like that. She's got the bug. She's, she yeah. loves to fish. So, um, well, yeah, that's, that's 
pretty sweet. We really appreciate you guys taking the time to kind of chat through some of the basics and yeah, no problem and uh, fill in some of the gaps that people might have regarding fly fishing. I know that there's uh, a lot to cover here, and we'll probably have to do a sort of uh, a base another basics episode just to kind of lay out like the processes here of like you know more about rods, more about lines and leaders and and all the gear. Yeah, yeah hopefully um, but, this was a good. This overview. is definitely a good overview for yeah. sure. Uh, yeah, I think next time we should probably just sit down and concentrate on nymphing techniques of Matt's Matt's school of nymphing. I like that. Yeah, we could we could break it down, <laughs> you know, as small as people want. <laughs> Bobber fishing, don't forget about it. It's exactly. good for everybody. Exactly. Yep. Cool. Well, thanks again, guys, for joining us. Yeah, this was and, great. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yep. Good. Uh, good luck with the next couple of months before the season catching keep season. Oh yeah, uh, opens Absolutely. up. I guess so. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.